This is Tony Mark. And this is Russell Grether of the Mark and Grether Group. And welcome to the Malibu Podcast. Malibu Podcast. Thanks for being on with us. We're yeah. with Chris Gray, the founder of Integrity Financial, who's our neighbor here at the Compass office when he's not traveling the world giving financial advice. <laughs> right. So we wanted to talk to Chris today about 1031 exchanges. Um, just love to get your ideas on how they're best utilized, what they are for the layman, mm-hmm. and um, you know what advice you'd give as to when people would most benefit from using them. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, thanks for having me on here. Tony Russell, uh, good to be a part of this as a fellow Malibu resident with you here. Um, it's been fun watching the whales go past the office lately. I don't know if you've seen any. I have not seen a whale. Okay. I've been hearing about the whales. Yeah. Um, okay, 1031. I think that 1031 is a special feature of real estate that um, probably is one of the main catalysts of why I think real estate is one of the best investments of all time. Uh, you know. You. Yeah, well. Hold on, you know, <laughs> along with private equity. So I'll say, you know, private equity and real estate go neck and neck in my world of, you know, true long-term wealth creation. Uh, I hear a siren going by, you know, we're in the middle of the p- pandemic here. So, you know, we're trying to be It's going to be fine. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, private equity and real estate are probably my two favorite. And the reason is, um, you know, private equity represents probably the best performing asset class long-term as long as you're with good private equity managers, Blackstone, KKR, Upper Quartile, so forth. Real estate can be done by almost anybody, uh, you know, that's, that has good advisors around them. But, um, you know, if you have an appetite for real estate, I think from a long-term perspective, uh, contrary to what most financial advisors say, you know, they'll say the three asset classes are stocks, bonds, and cash. I defer, I say it's real estate, stocks, and bonds. Uh, or even more clearly, real estate, equity, and credit. And that could be private or public equity, private or public credit. You know, we would lean more towards private credit because we feel like it's a better risk profile. Um, But let's talk about real estate. So real estate, why is real estate so beneficial uh, for families or even affluent families, you know, in the Malibu community? Is because you have this thing called a 1031 provision. And with a 1031 provision, it would allow, you know, me as an everyday, you know, ordinary individual go buy, you know, my first investment property, you know, or or maybe that property is one of my uh, previous dwellings and I locked it in on a 30 year fixed rate as a, you know, my primary residence got a good rate on that. And now I moved on, purchased my next property and I'm starting to rent that property out. Um, You know, I don't want to hog the time here, but I will say, let me just follow this train of thought. If I buy my first investment property and I'm doing well, you know, after four or five years, I've got, you know, moderate cash flow on it. Uh, my circumstances have increased on my personal wealth. I'm ready to buy my next property. I can do what's called a 1031 transfer, sell that property and upgrade it to a fourplex. Okay. Everyone wants to buy a fourplex. I think it's great. Take that investment property, sell it, don't pay any taxes on it. 
no, and I can roll it into the exactly. So if you eliminate the tax drag, you create what's called tax alpha, and that is an amplifier of wealth for the long term. Now, why that's important is you keep keep doing that your whole life. Imagine you go seventy years, you know, of your investing uh, lifetime without paying any tax. Plus, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, you can see the questions coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how is this possible? <laughs> this is a tremendously powerful element of real estate investing: is to eliminate the tax drag on that wealth creating vehicle. Which, by the way, at death, this is how a lot of wealthy families, um, you know, retain family wealth. Is there's no tax on that at death either because it's stepped up. Uh, on the basis. So anyway, that would be just sort of a very 10,000 foot, uh, you know, perspective on, on how that's useful. Um, you know, I've got a few other points as well, but I'll no, I want to hear it, but I have questions. Yeah, I have a quick question. So yeah. most, most 1031 exchanges are investment properties. So a lot of the people have those vested as LLCs or corporations mm -hmm. as a rental producing property. Mm -hmm. If it's within the family estate, does the how does it work with the corporations and the family estate tax as a as a inheritance tax? Mm -hmm. how, how does that work? Okay, great question. So, oftentimes families will utilize what's called a family LLC or a family LLP, and they'll push all the different corporate interests or uh, real estate assets into that, even investment assets into that blanket family LLC, and then each percent ownership of that a fractional share ownership of the family LLC. Why is that done? That's done for estate tax purposes to decrease the taxable estate. So when I wrap everything into a family LLC as a practitioner for a client, you know, uh, they can take a, um, a valuation discount, you know, to the tune of 20, 30, maybe even 40% on that valuation because it's now it's a minority shareholder position in an entity, mm -hmm. number one. And number two, it's a lack of marketability of that those equity interests, meaning there's not a broadly based market for that equity to sell to. And who wants to buy a minority interest in a small private health company? So from an estate tax, you can discount that. Now, interestingly enough, uh, estate tax is going to be different than income tax. So what I've been speaking about originally is more sheltering the investment gains from income tax the offsetting question is, okay, but how do we do this from a state tax? Because those are two different taxes, right? Uh, usually how we would construct that is utilize a form of a irrevocable trust for that asset, or you know, probably more elegantly, is uh, buying a life insurance policy to pay the taxes that are due and putting that inside of an irrevocable life insurance trust. That's the most common, makes a lot of sense. It's You're paying pennies on the dollar for the taxes. So that's a way that we can zero out the tax impact of the real estate. The main point is, how do you get an, an investment asset growing tax-free for 70 years? Because you can go from that fourplex, now I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna buy my first apartment building. Okay? And we can keep rolling that forward, driving cash flow, and you know the, the critical component that a lot of people overlook is, we can pull money out tax-free while we're alive, we can do a cash out refinance and pull cash out tax free and have that while the rents are supporting the you know the servicing of that note. So there's a lot of aspects to it. But it doesn't have to be an apartment building or a fourplex to an apartment building. Mm -hmm. I, I know that you know a term that we have heard you know thrown around is like for like. But uh -huh. can you explain like for like and what that means? Is that could you buy you know? 
something else that's not necessarily an income producing property, mm -hmm. but you could buy a restaurant or as long as it's as long as the asset is an investment oriented acquisition, is that mm -hmm. it's my understanding and I'm not a CPA <coughs> and I'm not an attorney, but it's my understanding that it's a, a like for like real asset. Okay. And so there's been some discussion around this because you could actually trade from my understanding, you know, even cattle would fit into that, ironically, you know, in more of a rural setting. Um, right, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. right? So, um, you know, the, the main point would be for, for the everyday, you know, American looking to grow their wealth, we would say, yes, real estate is, is one of the best performing assets over a long period of time. When is it a right time to get in? Well, hopefully you're negotiating a good deal on the purchase price because that's gonna really drive you know that that part of the real estate equation, but man, long term real estate is so attractive if you're utilizing the 1031 provisions and having no tax drag and then pull money out tax free, step up on the tax basis at death. So it really gives a, a, a neat set of tools for the for the family that wants to be purposeful in their planning. It really represents an opportunity. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to turn a single family home into a rental that then becomes a 1031 vehicle. It's my understanding there's a period of time it has to be showing income. So, you know, with a single family home, you'd have to create a rental, have it rented. It was, again, my understanding it's a two year period mm -hmm. that then qualifies it to become eligible for 1031. Is that accurate? I think, so. I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. Um, if you think about bad actors, there's not really, um, a whole lot of ways that you can be a bad actor in this because if you don't utilize the 1031 feature, you're just going to pay tax on it. But there's also exemptions, right, up to 500000 for a couple uh, on the gains of their home that sometimes people don't really know that, uh, that would be sheltered, you know, from tax. Um, you know, but we're talking about, you know, uh, people that want to be in this real estate game for the long haul and by not paying tax, it just, all those, all those dollars that would have gone to the government are now compounding on behalf of the client. But you can't take the primary uh, residence exemption of five hundred thousand dollars and do a ten thirty. Exactly, exchange. that's, that's it's one, one of the point. other. It's one or the other. So there's a certain amount of benefit either way. Mm -hmm. The important <coughs> thing is take some benefits. Right. You know what I mean? And and a lot of people are, are familiar with the five hundred thousand exemption or two fifty if they're single. You mm -hmm. know, so keep that in mind. I don't want to misquote anyone here. Um, you know, but when you look at really long term. You know, let's just say, hey, patient capital is rewarded, and it's rewarded handsomely. There's a reason why the Yale Endowment invests in alternatives such as real estate, private equity, private credit. This is where the really smart money invests. And I think that <clears throat> the beautiful thing about real estate is that, you know, if you have a good relationship with a bank and you're credit worthy, you can really make a lot of money at real estate if you're applying a little bit of leverage to it. And that's where the 1031 gets a little tricky more on the not so much the like for like, but the important thing is on a 1031, you can't go to a lower loan amount. It has to be the same or larger, which right. means essentially that you're you're taking the same equity position as a, as a percentage or less. You're, you're taking a step forward in that direction. So In appreciating markets, I've seen some clients do 1031s where they'll use their proceeds from the first one and then they'll use that to lever into just using those proceeds as the down, the down payment, exactly, and then they'll, you know, they go from a two million dollar property to an eight million dollar yep. property. Hundred percent recommend that, absolutely, because uh, you know, 
banks are banks are very cautious these days. So if we're not believing in ourselves enough to take full advantage of what the bank is willing to give us, then I would question, you know, what kind of professional direction and oversight are we actually taking on here? Because mm -hmm. they're very cautious. So uh, collateralizing things, if, if a bank is willing to give me money to invest in real estate, I'm taking it. As much as they'll give me, I'm taking it because I'm paying a lot less on that capital than what I'm gonna make on the, the, the um, market price of the home over the long term. I'm getting a compounding effect on the on the home valuation while I'm getting a simple interest on the loan. I've seen uh, for some of the commercial land properties that we've sold, um, some of the clients will also just use it as like a shell game where they'll go and get more property, mm -hmm. but then they can restart. I don't know how it works exactly, but they'll just restart the depreciation mm -hmm. for some of these assets. So they'll right they'll just roll the gains into another ranch and then they'll use the ranch to start over the straight line depreciation. Yeah, interesting. Is, yeah. Which is interesting. And I'm not an accountant either, but I would say that, you know, <coughs> since the 2017 uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that baked in a whole lot of uh, tailwind for real estate professionals. So, you know, common situation, someone inherits some money, they start playing this real estate game. They're involved enough of their time to, to allocate their time as a real estate professional, mm -hmm. technically, mm -hmm. even though they're absolutely leaning on professionals like yourselves. Um, you know, and that's a bona fide uh, occupation, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, it takes time and energy to manage properties, you know, and even if you're using professional managers, it still takes oversight and, you know, communication. Um, so I think that... Um, you know, the 1031 is really a golden key to family wealth cross-generationally, but it also must be um, enhanced with bank leverage and also uh, almost like an injection of liquidity through life insurance. And if you do those two sidecars, then you get exceptional return out of real estate. And that would lift it, in my opinion, maybe slightly above private equity. Without using those sidecars, then it would sit below private equity. Me, but I still like it. Right. Yeah. Right. And just quickly, you know, we obviously are <clears throat> friends, know each other pretty well. But just for the sake of the podcast, what was your educational background? What does, you know, what do you offer Integrity Financial? And um, you know, Chris wrote an amazing book. I don't know if you've actually published it, but um, just in terms of looking at life and finance and, and well-being and family planning as a whole, you know, it's this whole concept. I'd never really seen anything like that. So um, I just thought it'd be worth a few minutes just to give your, you know, your uh, overview on how you approach sure. all these things. Yeah, thank you, Tony. I appreciate, I appreciate your friendship as well. And we've known each other for quite some time here. Um, yeah, as far as the book goes, it's not out yet. I ended up, uh, I'm doing a doctorate degree at Pepperdine right now. And I felt like the book was almost finished. And I thought, hey, if I do this doctorate degree in business for a couple years, it'll really refine that and, and stress test it with the very best and brightest minds out there. Now, the thesis project puts me right in the interaction with the very best asset managers in the world. So it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, so I'm at Pepperdine. I should be wrapping that up in the next year. And then, you know, once I write that dissertation, a book will follow that most likely more in a layman's terminology, hopefully, that, that really would be beneficial. My heart would be for, you know, children that are that are coming from affluent families that, you know, receiving an inheritance is a is quite a responsibility and it can feel very stressful much like winning the lotto. I know people don't give a lot of uh, sympathy to, to people that receive money, but trust me, it's a psychological challenge. And 
So I just want to support that next generation, kind of help understand the generational perspectives on that, and really put the money in a subservient place beneath family, beneath health. That's where wealth sits. And if anything highlights that, the coronavirus highlights that because, um, you know, when we have our family, when we have our health, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Absolutely. Um, well, where do people find you if they have questions or would like to uh, move assets over for you to manage? Mm -hmm. uh, great question. I would say, you know, look at our website, integrity.financial. Um, you know, we've launched a whole uh, virtual advising uh, program where it's, it's frankly, it's nationwide. A lot of our clients are in Washington, D.C., hmm. uh, Tennessee, Texas, I mean, you name it, uh, Washington State, California. And what we found is, is a lot of benefit and even during these challenging times, communicate very clearly through video chatting with our clients, uh, screen sharing, showing them what we're doing, you know, helping them project, will I have enough in retirement or not? What does that look like for me? And even a 30 minute conversation like that can go so far. Mm -hmm. So we have a whole team, 20, 25 people or so, that are standing by ready to help you. And uh, I would say, you know, email Tony or talk to Tony and I'm sure that you can send them on over and we'd be more than happy to take care of folks. Even better. Well, thanks yeah. so much for being on the podcast. Really right. appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is Justin from the Mark and Grether Group. Um, during the coronavirus pandemic, our team is out of the office, but we are still working. And the safety of our community and, and our clientele is our top priority. Um, that said, we have a few new listings that we wanted to clue in our listeners about, um, and we're happy to uh, answer questions. And if you head to the markandgrethergroup.com, there's more info on each of these. Our newest listing is 29133 Gray Fox Street. This is in the heart of Point Doom, situated on nearly three quarters of an acre. And it features beautiful views of the ocean, uh, the South Bay, the Queen's Necklace, and the Santa Monica Mountains. The home itself is seven bedrooms, five baths, and has been completely renovated. Uh, it also has the all-important beach key to Little Doom via Riviera 3 on Great Fox Street. This is being offered at $7,495,000. Another new listing that we wanted to make our listeners aware of is 18964 Pacific Coast Highway. This is located on Las Tunas Beach, just west of Topanga Beach. This beach home has been renovated to perfection. It was redone from the studs up just recently and features four bedrooms and four baths with never-ending ocean views all the way out to Catalina and beyond. This is being offered at $6,250,000. For more listings, photos, our blog, and more, you can visit themarkandgrethergroup.com. And for now, we'll see you online. Stay well. Malibu, Malibu, Malibu.